Uh, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of uh, One Amazing Experience. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Mike Kershaw. Uh, many of you may well know Mike. Uh, 26 years as uh, Executive Chairman of the Concerto Group uh, and obviously Ultimate Experience as well. Uh, has uh, now been doing Kershaw Partners, Mike Kershaw Partners for the last five years um, and has done advisory to an enormous amount of companies in the events industry. Uh, Caper and Berry, Smart, Crazy Cow, uh, also non-executive chairman to Noble Wi-Fi, AOK, Point at Polzeeth. Uh, so, so Mike's um, pretty much goes on and on. Um, but um, let me allow Mike to introduce himself uh, and uh, just give us a little bit about Mike Kershaw partnership and what he's doing at the moment. Thank you, Philip. Hello. Um, Hello great Mike. to see you and uh, lovely to be joining everybody. Um, yeah, well, I had a, a you know very exciting career in Concerto and um, when that came to an end, I decided to, to, to open Kershaw Partners to try and bring a bit of my experience to um, help businesses in the event industry. And I've had a really nice time, five years, really enjoyed it, worked with some really interesting businesses, trying to help them grow. And, and, and a lot of it is about, for me, is about um, helping them not make all the many mistakes that I made and help them with making good decisions and so on. So, um, you know, I was quite lucky, actually, in my career. I never really planned it this way, but I was quite lucky that I ended up um, owning or having ownership of a whole bunch of different businesses in different sectors within the industry so you know lots of people work in party planning or whatever or catering we did party planning catering live production we own tents and all of those sorts of areas so i had a quite a a, a broad experience which i'm now bringing to bear and the businesses that i work with and have developed quite a nice network across them but um I've, you know i've been really lucky to really enjoy what i do now work with some really lovely guys and um you know and it's been it's been great up until February, really. <laughs> um, at which point it's not, not maybe not quite so great, um, and it's been provided all I think as as we were saying, although with with different challenges now. Um, uh, I suppose over the time that I've been in the event industry, which is actually I started in 1985, so that's 35 years really, and over that time, been lots of different um, lots of different ups and downs, and we've all been on the on the same roller coaster. Lots of people have my vintage. So, but this is the biggest dip, I think. And so it's been in a way, but the experience of having done it, been through it before, I think gives you some degree of positivity to know that, you know, we come out the other side and, and out, out of these things often comes opportunities that you can take advantage of. So I'm still very positive about it all. But, uh, we, and we look forward to hearing more about your positivity. And as you say, um, as we go through this, so in uh, in doing one amazing experience, we'll we'll go through an event that you would have, Mike, an event of your choice. It can be any event of your liking. Uh, and uh, while we go through it, we'll, we will discuss, as you say, that positivity and those lessons that you've learned um, through doing your businesses. And as you say, 35 years gives a huge amount of experience and a huge amount, a huge amount of ups and downs, I'm sure, yeah. that you've had to go through, um, which gives us something um, to learn and to to believe from uh, in terms of what we're going through now. Um, so to uh, to start the ball rolling, Mike, um, would you like to say what your party is going to be and uh, equally where your venue is or, or what your venue is? Well, my party is going to be a big party. Um, <laughs> I, uh, we, you know, very lucky with Ultimate Experience and we got into the kind of putting on big parties um, uh, quite early in terms of lots of people. So I've actually gone for a venue 
where we could stage um, a, a really big, uh, big event uh, with lots and lots of people and great live music. As we know with, with venues in London, there are some that are fantastic venues, beautiful, but you can't kind of really, really go for it. You can't go loud and you can't go late. So, um, so I've actually gone for Old Billingsgate, which you may say, "Oh, we're an old country." <laughs> but I tell, I tell you, tell you why. I um, partly because I was there right at the beginning of the sort of new iteration of Old Billingsgate, back which is two thousand and three or two thousand four, and um, I met the then that when when it got it got sold, it was a it was a, a reserve trading floor for Deutsche Bank, and I was like almost the first guy to go around it and realise this is going to be fantastic, great location right on the Thames Terrace, and then it had a, a, the, the at the time the first time they uh, went there they, they had these underground well the sort of catacombs underneath uh, beneath it, um, the vaults which I just thought were sensational, and then you have the upstairs and all the you know the sort of scale of the of, of the upstairs and the hot ceiling height and everything. I just thought this is going to be the best venue, uh, party venue in in, in London. Um, and so quite quickly we we kind of formed a relationship with them, um, and and then we we obviously ran lots and lots of events there. So I've got a lot of experience of running events there and being there and seeing some amazing things happen. And I know how how brilliant it can be if you get lots of people in there and then you have the contrast to the downstairs bit and you can do all sorts of lots of fun and games so i i'm envisaging a big live band and lots of um <laughs> entertainment on a big sketch stage but also lots and lots of people that's how i'm seeing yeah they wouldn't all come just it's not going to be like mike's birthday party i wouldn't have enough friends to come <laughs> but who knows we just put on a it'd be nice to host a great big show yeah Absolutely. Well, the, the, the post-COVID, there'll be lots of reasons to party. Um, it will be as the roaring 20s, as people like to say afterwards. So, yeah. And uh, are you visiting, is it going to be summer or winter, Mike? Obviously, you've got a wonderful well, terrace outside of Wellington. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it would be a, it would be a summer gig and we'd be... Uh, we'd be overlooking the tower and the and the um, and the tower bridge and the and the river, and it's just such a lovely setting for, for yeah for any sort of event. So yeah, I I'm I'm there already. <laughs> it's amazing. It. Obviously, it can hear it already. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be loud. Um, yeah. So as you say, you had a great association with Old Billings K, and and it was I guess it was one of your largest Christmas party venues that you did in terms of yeah. Well, we. Uh, yes, I mean the first one we did um, was uh, uh, was the, obviously the HAC, and we started. And this is when Guy and I were Ultimate Experience, and that would have been literally the early nineties. And we started doing these big parties for you know where we could do a thousand, you know, thousand fifteen hundred people. This is fantastic events there. So so we were always quite we were therefore quite experienced at putting on big events and big big uh, big gigs in. In, in, the, in these sorts of venues and building them ourselves. And so when we saw Billingsgate, it came as a, it was a sort of, this could be the really next next step up from the HAC and the and the other venues that we were doing of that sort of scale. And, and it really could, it really could, could sing as they say, and, and, it, and it did. And it was, was probably our most successful venue that we have operated. So, but um, it's a big contrast, you know, the events we were doing Latterly, at the at the, at the landscape, big big contrast with the events we were doing in the early nineties. <laughs> the first event we did at the HAC 
we didn't even have never mind we didn't have a raised floor on the marquee we didn't have a floor we did we were on grass you know, oh, it was grass, balloon, festoon. No, no, we didn't even have matting. I mean, <laughs> matting? Oh, if you dream of matting. <laughs> um, no, it was just on the grass. And because it, it, we backed it on, we, we backed it on to the, what was called the Flank Chemnitz Ball, which is a ball the HAC themselves did every summer. And we just had this idea, having seen that they put it up for, for, for all the HAC members and do a big ball, 2,000 people ball. And we kind of said, well, why don't we keep it up for a week and we'll do some corporate events and then we'll pay you so that your ball can start to become like subsidised. And they thought this was a great idea. So we, we then held it up for a week and then actually two weeks and quite soon, we 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 basically created, you know, uh, the, you know, almost the biggest venue in the, in the city in a, you know, it, that could do that. And there wasn't really anywhere like it. I mean, as we all know, you've been to the HAC many times. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There you have a great p- cricket pitch, four acres, right in the heart of the financial centre of the biggest city in the world and greatest city in the world. And and it was it was a fantastic opportunity. So, but yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing um, in terms of production i mean literally didn't know it we really really didn't we were really rubbish right um and we the whole thing was completely bust uh um uh, during over that period but you know we got better at it and eventually we got a proper you know decent marquee and and a floor in and everything and light see yeah so you must have had your fingers crossed it didn't rain now that's when you were doing yeah yeah yeah. well uh, yeah it was kind of undercover but it was (laughs) Yeah, and then made it will have rained. I just don't. I don't remember too yeah. many. I think we. Were, I think we were quite lucky. Well, there was a fun fair there. There was lots to do. Yeah. I always think you, you know, you, lots of entertainment. It will hide a multitude of sins. Yes, yeah. many of us will know. It's all about distracting the audience. And I, I ask everyone when I do this in terms of, uh, I suppose. Uh, sort of step up in your business i guess for you and guy you i guess you still must remember when you sort of signed that deal with hac do you in terms yeah. of like when you like yeah 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 no, actually yeah 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 that was one of the yeah that was one of the sort of yeah genuine bill we're going up a, a whole new level now we were doing small smallish venues we were doing you know like conway hall was was one where we did these well we, we did the christmas party thing you know, we 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 did we did Wild West gang shows for for um, uh, three weeks of Christmas, um, and the Polish club. We did you know three or four of these venues, all very themed, all very were very much with us participating. I mean, the Wild West ones, which Guy and I, I mean, we look we look back on this is just hilarious, really how how we did them. I mean, we Conway Hall. You probably don't know Conway Hall, Philip, but it's in. It's in uh, it's in um, it's in Redline Square, so Hoban, and it's an old uh, hall with a nice stage, and it's all wooden. So we built a wooden cowboy town in here, and uh, on the stage we had a uh, TPs and 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 we had a fast raw machine and stuff, and then we put hay bales in. So this was now in the early nineties. So we had hay bales, wooden barrels, wooden set. Uh, uh, gingham tablecloths, candles everywhere. Everybody yeah. was smoking. smoking. We were putting fags on the tables, you know, in in champagne flutes. Everyone would have it. free fags at one of our parties. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, we even had an indoor barbecue. And uh, in fact, I tell you, uh, you know, Damien Clarkson. You know, Damien Clarkson. Yeah, Damien. yeah, yeah. yeah. Damien yeah. was actually working for. It. We would, we would, and he will, he will. He, he, you know, we always have a laugh about this. We did. We actually did a barbecue indoor. We didn't think there was anything wrong with it, particularly the windows open. I mean, <laughs> you know, 
what could possibly go wrong? So we had indoor barbecue, we had everyone smoking, we had candles on the tables, and we had the whole we had hay bales um, in the place. But we got away, you know, it, I used to be the general custer character, welcomed everybody, ladies and gentlemen, you come on in here and out, have a good party. And it was yeah, very, very, very well. And so when we yeah. then kind of, and it was all just ridiculous and hilarious, yeah. but it was very, very successful. We sold out, you know, we sold out every venue, you know, 18, 19 nights in December with these big fancy dress parties, you know, yeah. 69 quid all in. And and that really built this business. And that gave us the opportunity then when we got the, when we saw the opportunity of the HAC to kind of just step up a level, which was, you know, which was, yeah a, yeah, a whole new thing. And that's when we ended up thinking we need to expand a bit to, to put the production in and start to learn about production and lighting and performance and all the other stuff and catering, proper catering rather than just the, um, um, the indoor barbecue. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, and we never had security. And we never had health and safety. Are you kidding me? We, we, risk assess? No. Yeah. I used to do my own security. I was in uniform. I was dressed as a cowboy, a, a, a cavalry general custom. So huh? everyone was scared well, of me. No, absolutely. I'm sure with your, with your fake pistols, you were very scary. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I read, I read somewhere you, you were talking about those days and, and, and you, got a guy, you and Guy coming up with thousands of money-making schemes at the yeah. time. Obviously, you choose the right one. So. Yeah. Well, we spent a lot of time, yeah, just, just coming up with – yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was money making scheme number six hundred and thirty three D. You know, and it would be. And uh, oh, I don't know. If you've got time? I could tell you tell you a quick one. But the funny one of the funniest ones for me was the um, uh, was the Ford Mustang. So we were doing at HAC. And we somebody one of those parties where somebody decided they were going to uh, get a dice table. And if you threw six sixes, you won a car. And there was a like a Golf GTI, and it would, they put it up on a plinth, and it all looked pretty cool, really. And this is a big cute people saying, "I'll roll, I'll roll dice for, for you know to, to, to win the car." And I asked the client and said, uh, "You know, how, so what happens if someone does?" I said, "Oh well, you know, they get the car." And I said, "So you've insured it?" I said, "Yeah, we've insured it." I said, well, "How much did you pay for the premium?" They said, "Eight hundred quid." And I went, "Eight hundred quid." So what's the chance of throwing six sixes? And, you know, and the answer is it's one in 40 million or something. <laughs> and he said, absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so, so, so we, we, were at, we had a drink afterwards, and me and Guy hatched this idea. So, well, if that's what, if you can charge a client 800 quid and run a game, why don't we buy a really cool car that we could use in our thing? So we bought a red convertible Ford Mustang, five-liter, I mean, just mint, I mean, it didn't cost us that much, but we, we went. then we put it into our partner said, win the Ford Mustang, and, uh, and you know, you, all your guests can have a go. And we had put it up there, we'd, and every time we did a kind of a Vegas party or a, or a you know, American party, we'd have the Ford Mustang there on a plinth, had a bit of lighting on it, made it look fantastic. And, um, uh, and then people played for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean... And, and we charged 800 or 9,000 quid a time for, you know, notionally yeah. insurance. And we absolutely scooped up. I mean, we, we, <laughs> and meantime, me and Guy were driving around town in a, in a convertible red Mustang. My kids thought I was like, oh, my God, Dad. And no one ever won it. No one was ever going to win it. We did have one. Quite early on, we had someone throw five sixes. But actually, and when they threw five sixes, we thought, 
but it's still another six times, you know. Like, yeah, it's that, one in that's six. So we actually just added added another dice. We said we just changed the signage. Went so it's seven. seven dices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one cares. It's so ridiculously unlikely. Yeah. But it just provided a real sort of centerpiece to the party. But it, that was a yeah. that was what we had. Lots and lots of not very good ones, uh, money making schemes. But that actually worked out quite well. And then we sold we sold the car eventually. And, you know, Amazing. Run out of interest, but it was that was the sort of thing we were coming up with, all a bit harebrained, but rather hilarious to operate. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and and as you said, so you're obviously a Conway Hall. You were you were the sheriff. You were greeting people. Oh yeah. And uh, um, in in your venue, um, what sort of music will you have as people arrive? Well, well, um, uh, well. First of all, it's going to be have to be a fancy dress party. So okay. you know, the whole of Ultimate Experience was hit with, was 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 started. I mean, this was one of our key differences. Is is we pretty much all the parties we did we set up were fancy dress. So I would be the host, guy would be the host, you know we we and we've over the years we dressed up in a lot of fancy dress for these sorts of things, including guy has dressed in drag. I have to say he, he won't thank me for telling him. <laughs> but he looked a fantastic air hostess. For a party we were doing, where you know one of these uh, sort of international Christmas in the Caribbean or whatever it was, and it, he, 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 so we decided that he would host it in drag as an air host it. Um, so for this party, it would be a fa- fancy dress, um, and actually, what I haven't gone so far is what, what sort of fancy dress, but it's just it would be just dressed in, in, in incredible fancy clothing and, uh, and any costume counts, and I think that would be that would be kind of completely appropriate for. Um, uh for our sort of party so um th- that's what we have and in terms of i actually don't think about the opening music oh yeah well um just <laughs> you know that you know when elvis does his you know, you, the elvis set in vegas was a very yeah. sort of famous set before he started he always started with that it was kind of da-da-da, and it was a kind of a, a, a sort of um uh, almost fanfare for the common man type thing with you know all, yeah. and then he'd go straight into viva las vegas was his opening line so i and, and i've done that a few times with um i've i've, I've bought in elvis impersonators so it was, we, we did very well with one for, for a few years so always a great way of starting a party so i probably have a bit of light light sort of music and then we at some point when we're really going to get this baby kicking off then it would be it would probably be an elvis um that kind of elvis fanfare to, to get going um and then and then straight into uh, a bit of a bit of the king well the king is always loved yeah, oh yeah, we, we we always loved him. I can't try to remember the name of the guy. He was a really good Elvis impersonator. They they were great. These guys, we love love them. The, um... And you and, and I'm guessing you you must have a, you you've decided on what your fancy dress is going to be. Well, what's Mike going to be in? Um, well, actually, no, I haven't. But probably. No? The one I would, I would probably have to do a, I mean, I think it, I'd probably have to do a uniform. I think it would be, and it probably would be most appropriate to do the the uh, American General Custer Cavalry, the blue tunic and all that with the whole, the whole gear. Yeah. Look, super smart. <laughs> Love it. And it would take me right back down memory lane. They would. They would. an American accent. Would, yeah, hi, everybody. Come on in here. So yeah, <laughs> it would be great, yeah. 
So, so we'll definitely have a Wild West element to this in some area. We, we have lots of different themes that are decorated around the, the, the venue. And that's the great thing about having big ones. We can have Wild West over here and we'd have Spanish over there. And we'd have, you know. Damien, Damien on the barbecue. Lots of Damien on the barbecue indoors. It <laughs> 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 would kill me for, for having mentioned that. <laughs> it wasn't well, it was working for someone else, a guy called, a guy called yeah, Pete Phillips. No, 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 I know Pete. No, a guy called Len Schwartz with a great, who had a great, um, great catering company called Theme Cuisine. Okay. He was an American guy. And yeah. I'll ask, if you ever get to do a, one of these with Damien, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you a couple of stories about yeah. working with Len Schwartz as Theme Cuisine. Very nice chap. I'm pretty sure I met Len. Um, I think when, uh, when, because obviously, and we've sort of come on to this more in terms of, of your involvement, I know that um, you were involved with the, the Japan house in terms of selling yeah, yeah, yeah. Japan IOC, weren't you? And I'm pretty sure that Len came over during either build up to the Olympics in terms of either he was going to be looking after one of the teams or one of the American houses. or really? Yeah. So I met Len then. I'm pretty sure yeah, I did. Well, yeah, I did mean barbecue. But okay. uh, health and safety wasn't his thing. Okay. Um, that, um, lovely man, nonetheless. And that was uh, just just for, for the record. It was about thirty years ago. So <laughs> things have changed. They have changed. They have changed. Much, much yeah. for the better. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, what drink will you be giving your guests on arrival, mate? Well, um, uh, it would be gin. I mean, I think this this explosion of gin. I mean, we used to obviously in the old days. It used to be, you know. Well, I wouldn't even say champagne because in fairness, that was pushing it a bit. Um, you know, French sparkling, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I think I've got a bit tired of, of that. And I've just like, I love the way that gins have just kind of exploded. I've always been a big gin drinker and, and a lover of gin and all the different flavors of gin now and all the different tonics. And uh, you know, I, I think I think. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm. I've been. A, I'm sort of interested in business. I'm not just interested in the business in events business, but I'm interested in business. And that's one of the things that I do now. You know, I, I don't really do anything to do with events. What I do is I do about about marketing and strategy and and how to grow businesses. And and I'm kind of really interested by all that. And I just think in the gin world, there's been a very easy. You know, who'd have thought you could kind of really reinvent gin in the way it's happened? And more importantly, how could how you know how has Fever Tree managed to 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 go into a market that you know we all did we all drank Schweppes tonic I mean that's what you did I mean everybody there was no other alternative there was no choice you just never even thought and frankly you didn't think it mattered because it's just tonic it's that you know it's gin and tonic that's the drink and the way that these guys and the fever tree guys think it's just a brilliant story how you can get into a into a market and you think there's no chance because you're taking on the might of Schweppes or you know it's cabbage Schweppes it was Make it, and uh, you'll never be able to get in any sort of indentation into that and any penetration into that market. And yet they did. And and I think, you know, you look at that, that to me is incredibly positive that these things can be done. And often you can look at business problems and see, you know, just see, you know, companies a lot bigger than you or they've got much more marketing to spend or they've got really better people. And they could, you know, they, then you think you can never take them on. And yet I think those, they, those, that business in particular, Fever Tree, has just demonstrated that you can, and and therefore, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a huge sort of 
you know, very much an entrepreneur myself. That's where I felt, and always looking for how to develop the business and and, and take it forward. And and I think these those sorts of stories are really inspirational when you see these people can can build, start small, and do it really in a really smart way, creating a great product. So so yeah, I'd be afraid that it's a long long winded explanation for why I would have gin as my favourite <laughs> drink for the party, but that I would go all sorts of different gin bars and 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 it would be very gin. We'd, um, we'd probably have to have, in fairness to so many people, we probably have to have some champagne as well. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. You have to give you, have to give you guests the choice. If it's, it's, nice if, I, if it's me, it's gin and tonics all yeah. the way. Thanks very much. Fair enough. And I, uh, I, I, hate, I I agree with you in terms of fever tree. I think it is a lovely story. I think what's also nice about it is that it uh, – it was um, it wasn't a cheaper product. In fact, it was a more expensive product, and it was a quality product. But it showed that there was a market for it, and uh, I, I think, especially in these times, it's it's quite nice that it's not a race to the bottom in terms of uh, of finding success. That, that quality absolutely. can drive success. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, something that they knew that a certain demographic we're going to those were going to big enough big enough market for. Yeah, and do you have a do you have a favourite gin? Um. Well, I, I have a place in Cornwall, and I love that. And they do Tarquin's gin down there, and it's just really lovely. So, um, that if if given the choice, yes, I'd always have a Tarquin's gin. Tarquin's gin, yeah. excellent. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, coming on to the, to the meal, um, are you are you doing a, a sort of standard three course sit down, or will you? Uh, obviously, we won't, we won't revert back to the barbecue. But. Oh, well, we may, no. Um, well, I don't know. I've always had a slight view with the food in a party. Um, uh, and my dear friend, Richard Groves, with whom I was in business for, for many years, over 20 years, and, and before that worked a lot more closely with him when he was at Richard Groves Catering, before he became Create. We always had this sort of the importance of food in a party debate. Um, and I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm I'm of the view that that... Um, food has never made a party. It it has it has ruined a few <laughs> along the way, but it's never been the thing that has made the party. So I would always put it slightly further down in the list of priorities. Whereas I know caterers, and you work with lots of caterers. I love caterers; they're very very important. I mean, don't get me wrong, food is important, but and I love the creativity of food. But I've always felt if you're in a if you're going to do a party, which is a a whole rounded experience. Let's not just get fixated on what we're eating because um, uh, you know it's not going to be the thing that people are going to come out at the end of it thinking that, that, that that's what made it. Um, so I'm going relatively simple. I also want to try it in for relatively short space of time. So so because again it, it distracts from the fun of, of 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 the gig for me. So I would either go for um, uh, what we what we used to call food courts where everyone has lots of choice. And I quite like that because it doesn't, you know, enables the thing to flow. But if I was doing a, a three course, I'd do a fairly, a fairly simple, uh, a fairly simple three course meal created by um, uh, one of my great friend caterers, whether that's um, uh, my new friends, Boulevard, or, uh, or, um, the, you know, or, or create or, um, or Greg or whoever, and, and ask them to come up with something that that would be a really, really delicious, um, a delicious three course meal. I'm not, you know, I'm not 
I'm quite foodie, but I'm not that foodie. And I said, I never, in in events, I always think it's, it's a bit more of a distraction. So I tend to get through it. Let's do three courses, fish, main course, and, and, and obviously, and obviously lemon tart never goes wrong. <laughs> Richard used to hate me for that, you know, for all the, yeah. the, the simplistic approach to, to, to catering. I know it's important, but come on, Rich, let's just, you know. So smoked salmon, chicken, and lemon tart. What? Sorry, what's the problem? Does that? Yeah, I, yeah. The only variation usually is chocolate. Otherwise, isn't it? So it's it's salmon, it. chicken, and chocolate. It's usually yeah. the uh, yeah the, the Christmas do. Um, we'll make it uh, make it. But I always used to say we we did a lot. You, you know Stevie Congdon, don't you? When yes, Stevie Congdon, yeah. when we were very early days, we were back in. Uh, once we ditched Len Schwartz um, uh, out from our barbecue, we, we hired Stevie um, at, at Lettuce Catering at the time. And um, and he did many years with us in, uh, prior to us, us creating the concerto thing. Um, and I would say, you know, people get very kind of, it's all about creativity and food and stuff. And But real creativity in food, for me, is being able to do something really delicious that, that everyone enjoys and do it at a, at a sensible price because anyone can and this applies to you know parties in general anyone can spend shitloads of money and make something great but really creative people make something great without shitloads of money and so so and i was like stevie that was one of the great things stevie did in those days you know we didn't have big budgets we had to make a margin you, you know in, in christmas parties you know you have one go you know, it only comes once a year we've got to make a shitload of money in, in at that time so we we've got to be so we've got a good product but we've actually got to get it done at a reasonable price and so we did put a squeeze on him but he always came up with creative lovely delicious you know well well presented and 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 everybody walked away saying that was yummy and that's all i think you can ask for yeah, so, yeah. no I, I think that's that's fair enough in, in terms of the um in terms of the caterers who i've interviewed for these it's, it's been quite interesting it, a lot of them is as you say in terms of the the food itself they're more about theater on a plate than necessarily the food and uh lena bjork alexander and bjork obviously yeah um, in and out in and out before that and she served the u.s embassy and they said it was the best food they'd had outside of the u.s and she said it definitely wasn't the best food they'd had outside the u.s at all <laughs> she said i really couldn't cook but um <laughs> she said, but i made them feel happy i you know it was about the service and the smile and the empathy and the you know home feeling to it all so i guess as you say it's either it's getting that service level right or it's the creative nature of the plate as well as actually the, the quality of the food and i know with my own children, certainly, that a dessert masterpiece can can live for a long time in their memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's um, you know, it's much more than the food. These 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 experiences. And a lot of people go to corporate events in particular, and it, it, it you know, they're there for a different reason. You don't. You just the food is there. It's 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 you've got to have it. But actually, you're there for a different reason. You're there to talk to people, meet people, and whatever, engage. So. Um, it's like you know it's about but service and and just the, the just make it tasty and delicious and they and you, you can't go wrong really yeah we're talking about it wrong i i um i saw a short interview with you mike when you were talking about in terms of when you're doing your own business about um the difference of sort of bad bad decisions v wrong decisions oh yeah yeah so yeah, you're well, saying bad decisions. yeah well, I don't know. Oh. I, I've always, I've always, that, that's been very much, you know, we've made so many 
um, both bad and wrong decisions. I've had to make this this distinction, and I, you know, I focus with a lot of people I work with now on just helping them, you know, make the right decision. And the and the way you come to make the right decision generally is you do the work. You have to do this sort of analysis. So I'm I'm a really believe in that, and, I, and for for a long time we didn't. And I think you know, my colleagues in Concerto would would agree there were a, a number of decisions we took that where we should have known it. Really, if we should have done a lot more work, a lot more kind of due diligence on the on the on the process before we decided to do it, and and that's one of the definitely one of the things I've learned now. And and you know, that's what a bad decision is. You just don't do the work. You go on a gut feel, and it falls apart, and and you should be kicking yourself. And sometimes you know people lose their jobs for this, and I felt really awful about it because it was dumbass. I really, we really should not have done that. And if we'd done any hard work, yeah, we didn't know. Whereas the, whereas the wrong decision, we made lots of those as well, where we actually did a lot of work. <laughs> we really scoped it. We knew the risk. We worked out all the different um, uh, factors relating to it. We took a view on, a, on the market or the, the venue or whatever it was, and we knew we were taking the risk, and we did it. And then it didn't work. Well, so that happens, you know. That's what you do as you're as an entrepreneur trying to do things and grow things, and so you have to take chances. But you don't beat yourself up about that. It's just it just didn't work, you know. Sometimes it doesn't. But you, I do beat myself up about when I've done the bloody work to get it. I should have known and didn't interrogate the spreadsheet and fell in love with the bottom right hand corner, which had this number in about how much money we're going to make. And, you know, and it just and, and built the whole thing backwards. And, you know, that's what you learn. Over, I feel like you know this extremely well. You learn over time that, that, that you know, sort of you rush into these things and it almost always ends up wrong. You've got to do the work. And so now when I work with businesses and I, you know, I'm very keen now on governance and making sure that the decision-making process at a board level, a strategic level, is properly interrogated. That's why I like being a non-exec or I like having non-execs and people who are not, they haven't got any ax to grind. They're just there to take a, take a view. But they make sure that you understand as the person about to make the decision, all the risks and all the metrics and the market and you've done the market research no no and they make sure that at that point you're making the right decision even yeah. if it goes wrong <laughs> that's right <laughs> which yeah. you did in many cases in our, our instance but, yeah but yeah. It, but it, and I'm, I'm sure in some of those occasions that it it was three things that however hard you'd you'd, you'd work the formulas uh, and looked into detail um, that it was things you couldn't predict. I mean, obviously, we talk about at the moment going through unprecedented times, and I know obviously you've been through in all those years. You've obviously been through nine eleven, and then you've been through the, the two thousand and eight crash. I know in the in two thousand and nine, I, I, I read an article you were saying back then that you know you had a sort of twenty five percent reduction in, in business, about fifteen thousand less attendees that year than you had the year before. And, and obviously things that you, you can control and you can't control. What were your, I suppose, lessons from that? And what would you advise yeah. in terms of people now? Well, we did. And, you know, I look back on that and actually I'd be looking back on that, on that, that uh, uh, um, a lot. But to 2008, Lehman's went bust in, in the September, by which time we were quite heavily booked for Christmas. So actually 2008, there were cancellations, but we were, you know, we had good terms and conditions. 
you know, we had, we had, we had good systems in Concerto. There's no doubt about that. And and and, and the guys, Mark Greaves and 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 Philip and stuff, they really made sure that we were we were well covered. So so we didn't actually really have that much of a problem in the immediate 2008. But obviously, we went into 2009, and you just knew. That, that this is going to be a very, very different market and everything was sort of collapsing. The financial crisis was really kicking off in early part of 2009. And, yeah, we lost – well, we lost a third of our – we went from 32 million to 24 million in a year. Um, and we, But we kind of knew it was coming. And what Mark Greaves did, which, which was great, is he kind of came to us with a – you know, he modelled it out, but really back in the, the beginning of the, uh, of the year, modelled out saying, guys – this is how it's going to, this is what's going to happen. Um, and it, well, this is what's going to happen, or this, or this, or this, and lots of different scenarios. But we worked out that we could afford to lose money, and lots of people can't. We could afford to lose money as long as we didn't run out of cash. So so a lot of it was, on, as, as indeed we're doing now uh, with lots of companies, it's all about cash flow and really understanding your, your, your cash in the business and cash is king and all that. Um, and then and then cut our cloth and it was a, it's horrible and as, as it's being horrible for lots of people now we had to we had to lose some very good people lose some good friends and we had to cut back but we came out you know by the end of and I run this campaign if you don't remember this say thank you at Christmas campaign because again yeah. is it happening again the voice of the event industry I just felt wasn't being heard then and and I kind of I remember post that going actually to the house of commons to it you know we had some parliamentary thing on a you know parliamentary committee on events didn't we and saying guys when it happens again can you make sure we have a really loud voice in parliament oh yes don't worry it's all yeah we're gonna we've really got the industry sort of backed up and i'm not sure i think it's better and i think bvp are doing a great job it's not we still haven't managed to get the industry's voices on that way in fairness no i I think that haven't managed to but but yeah. I ran that campaign in 2009, kind of on my own, got some people together, said, just fund a PR campaign called Say Thank You at Christmas, because we wanted to get across to people that doing a Christmas party was not about fat cat bankers going large with champagne. It was about the work, and it still is. It's about the workers. It's about the guys, you know, in the post room. Once a year, once a year, you spend nearly a, maybe 100 quid on, your, on saying thank you to your team. That is not frivolous. It's not fat cat. It's not. It's not ridiculous. It's actually really good practice, and it's important to businesses. I had to get that message out, and and you know we we ran a, a quite a successful campaign during that year, and maybe we'll have to do the same. I mean, it's not happening now, is it? No, we we all have our fingers crossed. Uh, I, I uh, obviously interviewed Graham Hill in doing these, and, and he was he used to be obviously with Square Meals events and venues, and he, he used to do a thing on Christmas parties every year. And, and he was he was saying how there was a lot of um, data and research done, which showed that the money you spent on Christmas parties you, you saved on uh, recruitment costs the following year um, because you actually just retained your team. Absolutely. Easy and yeah. You know, well, I, I was saying it was you know my message then was it's a tiny amount a year to, to be to be spending and you should be spending it. Not least as well because the Christmas party industry, as we know, the event industry is incredibly economically valuable to the to the country because you have multiple channels of supply chains, whether it's right down to the florist or the guys who provide the chicken to the caterer, whatever it might be. Um, 
Uh, whereas in retail, which everyone focuses about, shops, you pretty much always just hit one or two uh, sort of uh, supply chain, you import something, mark it up, yeah. sell it. Yeah. I actually drew this whole kind of architecture of an event, anatomy of an event thing. We're looking at every single transaction and sub-transaction in a sort of 200-person Christmas party. And there's VAT and there's people employed and all around this thing. And it was as economic activity, one Christmas party. It was huge. Yeah. Helping small businesses, big, you know, the, the glassware is probably made in, you know, in, in Midlands. The, 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 the cutlery using has been forged in Sheffield. If you look at all of that stuff, the furniture's been built. There's a guy who's driving the furniture to the, you know, the, the staff, that everything is all British companies working in Britain, you know, and, and that's why it's incredibly good. And, you know, somehow I, we, we managed to miss that message going at the, to the top somehow. And I still think that, you know, and that's what's so heartbreaking about the uh, current situation is it's not the big companies, it's the little guys who rely on the big companies and the medium companies. It's, it's just a long old tale to it, isn't it? There is a long old tale to it, and I, and I won't get on my soapbox at this moment. <laughs> I think we're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderfully diverse business as well um, that we go through. And it, and when you were when you and Guy were were starting out, I mean, did you did you have someone who was an inspiration to you who was in the events industry, or, or otherwise, I suppose people throughout your career and who've inspired you? <laughs> well, I don't know whether you. Uh, I suppose when we started, because I actually I started in hospitality in sports hospitality. So I started with a company called Event Management Group in 1985, um, doing hospitality uh, at sports events. And then we sp- we went into conferences and I was producing, um, you know, I look back at it now and I got a lot remarkable amount of responsibility for a sort of guy in his early 20s to, you know, to produce big, quite big conferences for, you know, people like Avis and Legal in General and stuff. Um, in the days before mobile phones, the days before email and the days before, actually, before video, can you believe? So you're doing a conference without, we had to do slides, literally a slide machine and a slide sequence and it had to go in and you kind of animated it. So I had to put the slides in the, in the, in the, the deck wheel that, that went around. So, so we, I was doing all of that and, and then did some incentive travel and we're taking groups abroad and did all sorts of trips. And then I met Guy, or actually to do, doing some, um, he was wanting some hospitality tickets, but I was also a sort of ticket, <laughs> dare I say, bit of a ticket tout in my spare time doing doing, doing tickets for the rugby internationals. And so I had, um, I had, uh, oh Lord, money making, wild type. That was a money making scheme. It's going to say, yeah, <laughs> um, a very very high high stress money making occupation. Uh, but but a part of hospitality in those days, it was not regulated, so we had to get all our own tickets. So rugby, I was I was kind of working with ticket touts all the time, in buying and selling tickets. Well, quite spiffy, and and guy was short ten tickets for one of his clients, and we get we met and had a few beers, and and um, uh, and and you know and off we went, um, and we weren't doing parties at that time. He was doing the ultimate experience had just started. It was doing stag do's and karaoke, and so we were we kind of put I thought we'll put these two together and we'll actually come as a team because we got on really well, and I'll join. We'll, I'll I'll leave what I was doing and. and pull my clients into Ultimate Experience, then we'll have a bit more of a blended um, operation. But I've not really seen parties. And then I saw, and then, I mean, this is the, you know, um, 
but in this will be about 1990, 1989. Andrew Chance, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Andrew Chance, they were, they were the, the party organisers of the early, late 80s, early 90s, and late 70s. Andrew Chance and William Bartholomew and, and these guys, and, and Johnny, obviously. But Andrew Chance produced this flipping amazing brochure. I mean, I've never seen anything, and I saw pictures of a, of a design of a party that the like of it, I just couldn't believe how good what what he was doing was. And I sort of grabbed this brochure and took it to guy. I said, "Look at this! Look at this! How bloody brilliant is that?" And uh, and so we thought, well, we ought to be able to do something like. I mean, it won't be able to be as good as that, but we can. You know, maybe this is a. You know, maybe we should do parties for companies, and this is what. And and it took. Well, actually, was. Genuinely, um, you know, before the internet, you know, it was a brochure, and you pick up a brochure, and you saw something that you like, flipping it. That's and the photography was fantastic. Also, yeah, and I've spoken to Andrew lots of times about this since. I go, you know, you're, Andrew, you're part of the reason I'm in this game because I saw your brochure. A photography, I think it was a Joanna Plum. Joe Plum, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Never seen photographs of events like it. And of course, that was what we we got some of our own done, and then you—that's how you started to sell yourself because you weren't selling it on the on the internet because you know there was no internet. So you know we we really got going when we kind of grabbed some grabbed some sort of product and then just went out and started talking to people. And we and we we took took the view side with Christmas. You know, party organising was difficult if you were really well known, like Andrew or. Johnny or whoever, the people would just come to you. If you were really not well-known, like Mike and Guy, the ultimate experience, you have to have something to go and talk to people about. Yeah. And so we did two things. One, one was one was we created a product, which was a Christmas party package. We clocked that Christmas was, was A, busy for parties, but they were all going to these you know hotels and it was all a bit um, bog standard and it wasn't terribly exciting. And... Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and and obviously they were expensive because they had to be done, you know, one at, one, at, um, one night after night and everything come in and go back out. So we, we thought that if we put it all together, we would create a commodity. We kind of commoditized it and then we'd go out and sell it. And the second thing we clocked was was really understand our venue, know your venues. And I think we became, because we realized, and I still think this is as true today as ever, that when someone decides to do an event, the first question they ask themselves is not, which event company should I use or which caterer? It's where are we going to do it? So that's it. So if you can grab the, the customer at the point where he's deciding, because he goes, where are we going to do it? Who do you know who knows where we could do it? Then then they'll phone you. And I just, me and Guy just became like, we just, our venue knowledge in London in the, in the early 90s was second to none. We knew everywhere. We went round, venue after venue, finding little unusual places, you know, and, and just being the kind of fountain of venue knowledge with, with the help of, do you remember the Hardens guide? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, he was, really, yeah. he was really useful because there was a yeah. little guy like that. We, and we'd go look at it and then run around and then we'd work it out. So we, we actually became kind of venue experts and that helped us. And then we had a commodity to sell. So it was different to what Andrew and Johnny and the, and the real kind of super pro party organizer were doing. But we commoditized it and, that, and then we got into Christmas and we, you know, kind of, Took it from there, really. Quite a long-winded way around of answering your question. <laughs> That's okay. I would say Andrew no, Charles, I, mean, I know Andrew's very well, but that was he was right at the beginning. And there, since then, there've been lots of people who've been inspirations to me and uh, guys I work with. Guy, you know, um, 
uh, Sam Gill and, and so on, who were just brilliant to work with. And, and, and uh, you know, we had lots of uh, fun and success together. But, uh, but Andrew was the first. No, that's great. I, I, I will. Uh, Andrew Chance, he was also, he was, he was, he's probably one of the ones who, first really understood a brand i guess in terms of event organizers he was so defensive about it so you know as we do we do staff to we would do staff to a caterer then be working at the venue and then andrew would be organizing it but the team would be briefed beforehand that they were andrew chance catering even though they obviously weren't andrew chance catering but they in terms of case any guest asked them they were andrew chance catering so he'd like to make sure it was he likes to control the whole thing andrew absolutely but you're obviously allowed to control your own party. And so uh, your your first yeah. dance track, do you have a first dance track plan, Mike? Well, um, right. So just going back to going back to the Wild West gang shows, Conway Hall in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, we had to get everything kind of, worked out and the one thing we had a, a dj and he uh he played the same records in the same sequence every night virtually no varying right and i know I, I saw then that if you want to get and it's i don't think it's untrue now but anyway it was certainly true then you we had a round dance floor from the beginning as soon as he started he started up and that's because he played i say boom it took four or five songs that, that got, got everyone up. And and I, to, to this day, we played it every night, and this must have gone on for about three years, at Christmas, the three weeks of, of parties every night. And it started with Diana Ross, Chain Reaction, followed by, <laughs> followed by Wake Me Up Before You Go, Go, Wow, followed by, by You Can't Hurry Love, Phil Collins, followed by Soup Soup Song Share, and, uh, and followed by Uptown Girl, Billy Joel. And you have all those five, five records in a sequence the place is bopping. And I, see it <laughs> I kid you not, I've seen it happen. Hundreds of nights over time, bang, full. And never stopped then from there. And he did it. He just knew exactly. Joe Delacamera was his name. He knew exactly. I don't know what ever happened to him, but he came with his stack of records, you know, decks. And three lights. We only had, yeah, he just had a, one of those DJ booths with three, you know, red, blue, green, red, blue, green. And that's all. Maybe a yellow in there, something, and that was it. We had no, we had no truss or anything over the dance floor. We just had these three lights, bang. What more do you need? No. Well, so I'm afraid it would be in terms of my opening number. It would be there. Well, it wouldn't be one. It'd be all five. Five. And we that's, the place that's, that's, will be bopping. It's perfectly allowed, especially as you obviously they they're, they're completely in your head. I mean, you've obviously. <laughs> The fact that you know the exact order, the exact yeah. songs, and you're probably talking what twenty years ago now. Oh no, more. Well, the nineteen ninety, say thirty. <laughs> well, that's how. But, but you know, it, it was one thing we didn't want to be worrying about. You know, it was you, yeah. You've just lots of other, we were doing it all. Bear in mind, you know, guy was doing the bar, I was doing the hosting. We had we had entertainment to get on. We had, you know, we had a hoedowning in that particular event. Um, so we had, you know, I was call, show calling a ho, hoedowns. You know, take your partners by the hand, swing them around, fill them go, all that. So we had too much to worry about. I just said, said right, disco, bang, you know, off it goes. And up goes China Ross, chain reaction, off you go, guys. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I think you should do some show calling on the night as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it will be on that stage. 
Always, yeah, <laughs> always, always one for the money. And uh, you don't have to, but would you have a celebrity at your party? You're allowed to have uh, one. Oh, I saw that. Um, well, I not, not for the, not celebrity for celebrity's sake. Um, I would, however, uh, we did a party. Um, we did some amazing parties at, at, uh, at Old Buildings Gate. Uh, but the one I do remember was uh, there was about 600 people in the room and Sting played. And Sting was, you know, my, you know, despite my sort of vintage, you know, the, I was a big fan of the police, big fan of Sting's, thought he was the coolest guy on the planet. Um, and then to go to, a, to have him at a party playing and, you know, us all dancing to, to, to him live was a really big thing. So I think, you know, a bit of a hero, he'd play, He'd have the place absolutely smashing, you know, to everything we want in a party. We got Sting playing, um, and uh, and I could just see that being just a great celebrity to have if I could possibly afford it, which of course I couldn't. But what it, that would just, yeah, I think I love live music. I think it's important to have live music in a party, and if you can have you know one of the world greats, then so much the better. So, yeah. But you also Sorry, have to yeah. add entertainment. I was going. I was. I would have had. I think the big thing about my party is, is it's got to be kind of non-stop. And one of the things I think we did really well in Ultimate Experience uh, over the years was just had a non. You know, we focused on shows and entertainment and and things happening um, all the time and built of built the theme around. A show we did one called pop we did one called idols and icons of the 20th century we did one that you know you know kind of pop music through the ages big dance shows big big um, stages you know split stages and and it was all quite and we did that and, and one year we did a thing called inferno at the hac which was about an act called pyromania fantastic kind of circus fire acts just brilliant and we build it around those things to give a, a sort of focal point to the to the evening so i'd definitely go for i would probably have pyromania back i was looking for them on the online yesterday they're still going <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they're not they're not they're not toast yet they're not but yes <laughs> boom boom so uh, they're absolutely yeah um yeah great great guy so i'd have, have some of that and, and then you know lots of i like i like the uh you know we are over the years we've had fantastic still walkers and magicians and stuff and i think that's all great it just makes the thing much more than just a dinner dance and i think that's what we should all been trying to get away from is is making that distinction we're not we're not a dinner dance part, part event company we're a party company and that's what you should be doing good times yeah yeah and, and, um, yeah. so very good um excellent so you've uh you've you've now entertained everybody everyone's had a, everyone's had a lovely dance um and uh we're getting near to the end of the party i'm sad to say well we're going and, to uh, the party now well <laughs> obviously <laughs> sorry <laughs> what, 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 what what you like 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 oh because you then have the after party downstairs oh ah, okay where okay. you have the dj and the you know and the and that's when they are that, that's the, the until we talk about food the, yeah. the the munchy um run at uh, at about 1 30 when the bacon sandwiches and the sausages come down that's that's quite key so that's just before departure you've got to give everyone a bit, bit of a bit of additional scrum 
uh, yeah, but it's, uh, again, a, a, a common theme that uh, most party organisers see their parties going on until at least five in the morning, I'm getting yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, at which point girls are leaving with their carrying their high heels in their hands yeah, <laughs> yeah. everyone's um, got four feet and a horse everyone's got a horse exactly yeah boys have, if they were wearing black tie the ties are off etc etc so yeah they can only sing come on eileen so many times <laughs> this is true yeah <laughs> uh and uh okay so you, you, it is you've you've had the you, are you how are you descending to the after party or are you doing the big departure at the end and the big departure can be yourself leaving it can be your guests leaving or it, um yeah whoever you like well i um i obviously i'd be waiting i'd be the last man standing and that would be and and because there's always stuff to clear up isn't there so um yeah i would be um i would be there right to the end and slowly i have to shuffle people out um uh and it was always it was always a sad moment for me when you when you eventually have to have the lights go up but 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 you know getting people to the end of a gig screaming i mean how many times did i have people coming up to me saying how much does it cost to go on for another hour i mean this happened all the time come on it just oh no it can't be time to go home now and i'm, I'm sort of saying come on let's be having you haven't you got homes to go to and uh, you know we've got to we've got to clear everyone out, and and so I always try and make the make, make that ending and sort of just grade it so it wasn't too stark. But in the end, you've got to you know leaving them screaming for more, and then bring the lights up, and then we always used to play. Um, I don't know why, but it always worked. Old Luke Bennett used to play it. Um, uh, the theme from Jurassic Park as you going out. I don't know why. It was just a big sort of orchestral finish, yeah. and uh, and it was just uh, sort of everyone wandering off like a big herd of dinosaurs leaving the place. But um, uh, and then yeah, then we'd be sat and sat down, and, and you know, obviously for the first, I suppose, oh, how long will it be? The first fifteen years of of doing these events and Christmas and stuff, we were still smoking. So you'd always you'd always have a sit down beer crack open a bottle, have a fag, and talk about all the ridiculous things that have happened in the in the night and there uh, will always have been. I mean, I make it sound like, like the party organiser was was easy. We, you know, we haven't got anything like the time now, but we had so many nightmares <laughs> um, over the years. I think we've all had that in the events. It's kind of, it's what, it's what, it's how you learn. And in fact, a funny way, because people are so much better at it now, maybe they don't have the experience of having cocked up stuff in the way that we did. So we haven't had the they haven't had to learn the, the, the learn from those mistakes. But um, you know, the people are just a lot more competent. But we, you know, we really were we really did make it up as we were going along for 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 years and years. And um it was great fun, I have to say. It was great fun. And you, you obviously you're talking about learning. So I mean, what would you say were your biggest learnings from doing it all? Leave it, leaving people wanting more sounds like one of them. Yeah, and in terms of doing, um, you know, in terms of yeah parties, um, but in terms of the business, um, I, you know, I think we were very lucky. We 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 were quite unusual. We we started something very very, you know, literally in our kind of front room almost. We then we then merged with business pursuits 
to create concerto and then and then we we went on the acquisitions spree and did and build the business i mean we talked about about the recession earlier and we came out of that having lost all that money in that year gone down to 24 million by 2012 so only two years later so we had 2009 was hideous but 2012 we were up to 50 million turnover we got on the we stepped on the gas as soon as the kind of financial um, stuff came came to an end, or the real crisis, and then grew very quickly. So you know that was that was a um, and and then the Olympics came, and we had that we had all of that. So quite lucky that, and then and then you know a few more years of okay, and then and then we decided to exit the business. And we're quite unusual that we managed to do that. So so you know I learned a lot over that process. Um, I suppose the biggest thing for me has been the value of friendships and partnerships and networks. And I'm still a big believer. I think one of the things that will come out of this, and I think I wrote something about, you know, venues, uh, we've got to get venues back and venues back impacts on everybody. So we've got to get them help and get them open. We've got to help get business into venues because venue, when they're open, that's where people will be gravitating towards it. Again, they'll, that's the first thing they think about. Where are we going to do it? Um, and there's lots of people who are engaged, you know, whether it's it's the caterers or the production company, or indeed the staffing agency. You're all interested in getting this, getting venues back up and running again. So the venues shouldn't be the only ones who are thinking it's their job to get themselves COVID compliant or start the marketing ball rolling. We should all be working together. And I think I think that is one of the things I've really enjoyed is is lots and lots of friendships, lots of partnerships. You know, I've tried. Uh, you know, I've tried hard, pretty much, not to fall out with anyone over thirty years. I don't think it's productive. I think we'll try and, you know, we don't all di- all agree, but you know, we should all be grown up enough to 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 acknowledge that. You know, we'll, let's not fall out about it. And and maybe we've I've let things go, or and actually, you know, other people have been a bit more hardcore about it. But I think in the end. You know, staying good friends with your competitors, staying good friends in the industry has been really important. I mean, we once had, you know, you know Will Bailey, don't you? Planet. Well, early days of Planet events and, and Ultimate Experience, we were we, we 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 were running Christmas parties, and they had a Christmas party, and we had one night when when the DJ didn't turn up. And if the DJ didn't turn up, it was you, again. This was records. This you know, you need someone with records. You couldn't, yeah. you know, he didn't turn up with. But we didn't have the DJ, all the records and the vinyl. And and thankfully, I'd always stayed friends with Will, and I knew, you know, when 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 we didn't have a DJ and the parties, you know, everyone's eating and they're about to go and go on to dance floor, you know, eight hundred people in the room. You know, we ran down the road to where Will Bailey was doing his his venue and said, "I need to borrow some records." And and of course he went, yeah, no problem. You know, we're all help. You know, that's that's. You know, in other instances, sometimes people probably won't. They'll they'll, they'll they wouldn't have wanted to help out their their competitor. They'd have seen us fail, and then they'd have picked the client up the next next year or whatever. But I think that's what's great about our industry. So you know, yeah. stay friends and yeah. and understand the value of your network. And that certainly since I stopped with Concerto and I'm now working, that's all that all really helps. But not just for me, but it helps. You know, I'm good at joining dots and connecting people, and I like to see, you know, things work. And yeah. um, so that's been a that's been a great. You know, I've been really lucky. Been really lucky to get to get out the other end of this. You know, having sold the business and now work with some lovely people. So, and had a lot of 
fun along the way and a lot of really silly stories. <laughs> You're like, there's a lot more where that came from, Philip, I can tell you. <laughs> oh my God. The, um, the, the yes. Yeah. I read somewhere that that uh, that, that luck is when uh, preparation meets an opportunity, and uh, obviously you've got you've had thirty five years of preparation, Mike. So <laughs> you're bound you're bound to get the opportunity. Yeah, well, yeah. it's been a it's been a, a great fun journey for sure. So, good, good, good. There we are. Uh, an hour and a quarter. I have massively overrun your time here. <laughs> it's not it's not a problem at all mike i'm sure listeners will be very interested to to hear everything that you've had had to say and um i mean we've, we've pretty well covered everything i would say but do, do you have any any one abiding best memory from working in the industry oh god um uh, well it wouldn't have been a bet it wasn't a one-off thing I, did, I was very proud of what we did with the olympics i think you know we ran nine nine houses we, we did a, it was an 18 month project we ran nine nine country houses we, we were involved with smart we we jv the the olympic hospitality center we ran some really good good events over that period we ran our own um house of nations in the tower and i i love the way that that was all of the concerto businesses which i'd been involved in putting together working as one to deliver a, an extraordinary two and a half weeks and we'd run the the whole of the Japanese support center and you know it was it was just brilliant and I suppose that would be my you know we didn't make as much money as we would have liked I guess but you know yeah that's yeah. it but as an experience it was terrific and as a as a you know kind of almost pinnacle of of what the concerto group was built to do it it nailed it and I was very proud of that so yeah yeah, I'll put it here. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very good note to end on. It's also it's um, th those Olympics had a huge legacy issue, not issue, legacy opportunity for UK companies. It's amazing, 2016 and, and even going into 2020, and the Winter Olympics. So many companies who hadn't worked at the Olympics before 2012 in terms of UK companies now are actually sort of yeah. forebearers of it and, and main and, and central to Olympic delivery. So um, it shows the power of the UK events industry. Yeah. And the importance and of, course, of it. Coming back to Paris, I mean, you know, Paris is three hours away. I hope lots of businesses, well, I know lots of businesses in the UK, the UK businesses had the 2012 experience, will be in art talking to people about, about working in Paris 2024. So, you know, it's coming back to Europe, coming quite close to us and who knows, what, what, what that will bring for as, as part of the hopefully the regeneration of our industry over the next three, five years. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we all look forward to coming to Old Billingsgate, uh, being 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 greeted by by you in your uh, in your US general outfit, <laughs> drinking far too many gins, I'm sure, uh, enjoying our salmon chicken and chocolate or lemon tart. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, seeing your uh, pyrotechnic act as well uh, and then we'll all be dancing uh, I'll probably be up at Billy Joel I think I'm not sure if I'll be up first song uh, but I think Billy Joel will probably have me up, up and running and then uh, and then descending into the vaults of the old Buddings Gate for our bacon sandwiches and, uh, and our, our sort of after party which will finish when the venue finally gets around to kicking us out um, yeah. 
And uh, I do normally ask as well, one gift to all your guests. Do you have a final gift for them? Oh, well, I, um, I, this sounds a bit naff, really, but I, I you know, I'm, I, I, I'd like, I've seen it, I've seen it done a few times, I know people do it, but they give, they give everybody a, a sort of a, a video of the party, so a bit of a memory. And I think, you know, we live in a visual world, don't we? And it's nice to, nice to have something to, to remember a, a cracking night out by. So I would probably do that, come along a bit afterwards. But yeah, I think that's, uh, I've never been a big one for goodie bags, particularly, uh, or, or gifts, but um, because I think the gift is the party. That's kind of what, by coming, it's my gift to you guys or whatever. So just have a nice memory of it and, a, and, a, and maybe a, a video of it too. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Video of it. They can have another gin. Watch it again. Absolutely. They love the party. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm sure listeners will get a lot out of it, both in terms of, of your business um, knowledge, suggestions, and equally as well, just in terms of, of, of what you would do in terms of putting on an event and a few laughs as well. Well, thank you very much for having me, Philip. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Great talking as always. And, and all the best to everybody for, for, the, uh, for the next few months. Thank you. Thank you.